Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest today is Richard Becker, president of Copyright Inc., a 30-year-old strategic communication and writing services firm. But that's not why he's with us today. Today, he's here as an author of a new book, 50 States, a collection of short, short stories. His experimental and speculative fiction began as a project to write one story a week for 50 weeks. His book is available at Amazon, Blurb, and all the usual places. For everything about Richard, go to richardrbecker.com, and you can follow him at Twitter and Instagram at Rich Becker. And Rich, welcome to the show. Hey, Ira. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great having you on. Why the project? Why this particular project, given your background, which is obviously in the nonfiction world, now you're into fiction. So how did you decide on this project? You know, um, I've always been a little bit of a storyteller in, in, the, in the background as a journalist and in commercial writing. And I've always wanted to pursue fiction at some point, but I always put it on the back burner. And I don't know, it just sort of hit me that now is the time. I actually started to experiment on my Facebook page to start throwing up little bits of fiction. So there'd be a story here, a story there. And then there came a point when I realized I could probably do something with those. And, and I found my series, a sort of a series sort of came out of that. And I decided to commit to it. And that was actually the thanks to, to a couple of friends of mine who gave me some good advice, one directly and one just by the, what he did. What was the advice? Well, the first one was by an author and a photographer named Jeff Livingston. And he, he told me, because he was coming up with all these books and all these projects, and, and he changed his from a marketing communicator to a, a photographer like overnight. And I'm like, you know, Jeff, how do you do this? Because I'm always bogged down in the day-to-day of commercial marketing and all these deadlines, how do you do it? And he said, well, the first thing you have to do is you have to realize you have to put yourself first. And you start putting yourself first. So the first thing that you do in the day is you start doing your project. Or the first part of your week, you start doing your project. And that's something I actually did with when I started to write fiction and, and sharing them on my Facebook page. What I did was, is I would start, I'd try to block out Monday the best I could. And that was the day I, I would start a story. I didn't always finish it. I'd finish it throughout the rest of the week, but Monday was locked in as that's the day I would start a story if I hadn't had one started already. How much time did you uh, allocate each day for writing that? It was variable depending on what story I was working on. So in some cases, it was I'd be done on Monday. In other cases, I would be done the next uh, Sunday with the story. But I had a specific deadline. I had to trick my own mind into having a deadline, and, and that deadline was I published every Thursday you know, rain or shine. And, and actually, the reason I stuck to that deadline was part of the other advice that I had learned. There's a gentleman called, his name is Stephen Butcher, and he's an illustrator, and he did a project called The Daily Monster. And he had this really cool ink technique where he would blow the ink with a straw, and whatever weird pattern that make it would make, he would turn that into a monster. And so he did The Daily Monster, and after about 100 monsters, that became a book. And one of the things he said is he, he was doing it is because he figured, and he would do it no matter what happened, if he got sick, if he didn't feel good that day, if he overslept, whatever the case was, he always started his day, and kind of going back to Jeff Livingston's idea, he always started his day with a monster. And he said, by the end of this, I knew I would truly be an artist if I could work on a project when I felt like it or not. That's what kind of makes you an artist. You have to be able to do the work that you do no matter how you feel. And that's kind of what happened to me when I was working on 50 States. It makes you also a professional, I would think, not just an artist, because to stick to something when you're sick or you just have other commitments, but you put yourself first, which reminds me, that's almost like what a relationship counselor would say or a therapist, put yourself first and take care of yourself so you can take care of others. 
the advice to you was take care of yourself first in the way you want to write and then write for everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. And it actually made me, through the process, I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years, so it's not like I, I don't know how to write. But at the same time, I, I felt creatively, I felt f- sort of freed. And as a result, I think the copy I was working on, the commercial writing, I was, when I had to do that, it was actually better. And I felt, good, I felt really good about what I was doing. And I would probably take a few more chances that I was not taking as often just because I was in this creative process. You know, there's really something to be said about immersion. There's a lot of famous people out there that talk about immersion, like David Lynch. You have to be in it to win it, you know. And the more you're immersed in a project, the, the more ideas and the more different styles and chances you're going to take. Now, your technique, though, is a little at odds with the typical technique of a writer that's going to be writing either a blog or a piece of fiction or a book or an article, which is you would dedicate X amount of time each morning. So it would be a half hour, for example, or an hour. And then you just stop and then pick it up the next day. In your case, you were writing in a variable time. So it could be 15 minutes, could be an hour and a half. Yeah, it really depended on the story. Some stories came together really quick. And there were a couple stories that, that were a little bit more challenging. I wouldn't say they were a slog or anything like that. I didn't always know where they were going, and I just sort of kept following them. And there were a couple stories that didn't actually develop, and I kind of I, I threw them out. One in particular just came to mind, like the story I wrote about Tennessee, which is actually the last story in the book. That wasn't meant to be that story. It was a, That story now is about runaways, but originally it was meant to be about, and I might come back to this some other day, uh, it was about to be about moonshiners and a sort of a family grudge story. And, and it completely, I never got that one off the ground, so I abandoned it. And then I came up with what, what ended up being a better story. Now, you obviously saved yourself some travel time by writing about 50 states, but without necessarily traveling to those 50 states. Yeah, you know, I'm very, uh, I, I'm very fortunate that I have traveled to a good portion of the states. So what I would do for the states that I didn't do is I would try to draw on regional experiences to kind of get the flavor of those particular areas. But I did have a challenge on two states, one of which I'll be visiting relatively soon, but was Alaska and Hawaii. In Alaska, I could kind of tap into the cold and some of the things I knew from growing up in the Midwest. So I could kind of tap onto that, but I I don't really have a true sense of the culture, but I think I captured it okay. And then the second one was Hawaii. I haven't been there. Uh, One day I'll go there for sure. And then, you know, that's kind of, I'll I'll be able to get more. And and actually, when I create sequels to these stories or tie-ins or intersects, that's what I'll be able to bring in that new experience. Well, there are two opposites. One is the cold and one is the non-cold. Yeah. So it worked out pretty well. They're also not in the continental United States. That's true. I mean, well, of course, Alaska is, but, you know, there's a little bit more of a distance. There is, yeah, and and size-wise and everything else. It's interesting, too, because your fiction, it can be dark. I remember the story you wrote about, and I won't give it away, but in terms of Indiana, was was a little dark. And the one for Nevada, which is where we both live, was more of a, a neighbor, a commentary on neighbors. And I liked it because it's very, I think it makes a point about Las Vegas in particular, but I don't know if you meant it that way, but that, that's how it came across to me. It did. You know, and the interesting thing about Nevada is on the next story I have, because the next project, one of the next projects I'm working on is called 50 Threads, and they do a lot of them tie in. Nevada is a little bit unique because you won't see the connection at all. And it'll be, so it'll be completely different in, in that particular case. But yes, I had a commentary about the neighbors because I think Las Vegas is a real unique city in the fact that, in a sense, you know, 
I was thinking about this. It kind of comes. It kind of works a little bit like social media. We tend to pick people in social media based upon interests and topics and and things like that, and not necessarily geographical location. And I think, and not in every case, but in many cases in Las Vegas, people tend to do the same thing. You know, we know people at work, or we know people in our industry, and those become our friends more than the people who live around our particular neighborhood. And part of it is just because of the way we have our uh, two reasons. Is one is the architecture, of course. We have all our cinder block walls, but in it, which kind of creates that feel. And then in addition to that, we are a pretty transient town. So, you know, two years, people are moving every two years in some cases or five on the outside. There's very few people like me. I've lived in my home for, oh, since 96, a long time. <laughs> Well, same here. I've been in town here since 78 or 79. So yeah. there, there, there's plenty of people like us, and there are people that were born as well as raised here, too. So right. I don't want people to get too much of a stereotype. But you're correct in that sense. There's another aspect of Las Vegas for those who don't live here, and that in other towns, I grew up in Los Angeles, and generally in the area that you lived in, it was pretty much the same type of people. As an example, a friend of mine, his father was a, a doctor, so generally there were professionals on the block, whether it's a doctor, lawyer, or whatever. But here, you could be a doctor, and right next door to you is a casino dealer, and next to him could be a plumber, or whatever. It's a, it's a mix of socioeconomic classes and people, which makes it interesting, and at the same time, it's a little disjointed in the sense that you don't necessarily have the same things in common as you said earlier. You have something in common more with the people you work with, depending on what industry you're in. Right, and my family came to Las Vegas first in 78-79. We did have a little bit different of experience because they did have a neighborhood pocket, but at the same time, when I think of from that period of time, which was about halfway through middle school through my high school graduation, you know, I even went through entire sets of, of friendships, you know, like groups of people. I had kind of drifted into several different groups, which isn't something that you would normally have, like, in a where I originally grew up in Milwaukee, you were really tied to your neighborhood. I mean, the friends that you had in your neighborhood were going to be your friends. And they and when I went back there to visit family and subsequent visits, the people I knew back then were still friends. Yes, and it goes on for generations. Yeah. In Las Vegas, you don't really see that. And I even see that with my own children growing up here. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Some of the times they connect but there's a lot of transition and change because there's always new people coming in and there's always people who are leaving and they stay connected a little bit through the internet. But beyond that, really, it's, it's a little bit more malleable. Right. We're talking about Nevada and Las Vegas, but really this applies to other states as well. And, and again, back to your book, 50 States, you decided to peg your short, short fiction into a state's culture or sense and uh, as best you could. And you mentioned about Alaska and Hawaii, that you want to visit Hawaii too. But when you were sitting down to write the fiction, as I mentioned earlier, some of the fiction is dark, but when you're writing that, are you, are you realizing that you're just letting it go? You're not editing yourself at that point. No, I let it go. Right. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. When Most of the time. When people, no. But I guess the, the reason I'm asking the question is people who know yeah. you, are they surprised by some of the stories? Well, it would be surprising to some people because, you know, in commercial writing, I've won plenty of awards writing humor, you know, humorous advertising, I mean, and especially radio. I mean, that's what people, you know, really associated with me was like the, these humorous ads that I used to do for some of the car dealerships. And then I did some for uh, Mesquite and, and other areas. And that's that's kind of what they, they get attached to. But there's a there's a whole nother, you know, depth to, to my writing and I can do the transitions. Um, I have written lighter stuff. I just haven't done anything with it because those tend to be 
well, some of them are dark too, but, but they tend to lean more toward children's books, and I have to work on my illustration skills or find the illustrator that I really want to work with to produce those. So this was a much easier project for me to get off the ground. You enjoy writing fiction, and I wonder, because I'm a nonfiction person, I like to read nonfiction books. It's rare that I will read a book of fiction. Mm. Yours I did read. But what is it about the dichotomy between nonfiction readers and writers and fiction readers and writers? From your research and from just your knowledge, what is the difference between those two elements? Wow, I think it's a little bit different for everybody. I can tell you from... Being a fiction writer, what I, what I like about it is I'm not tied to reality. I mean, there's a lot of reality in my book, and, and it's really a lot of the stories are well-researched in, in, the, in the settings that I place people in. But I have that flexibility where I don't necessarily have to stick to, the, stick to the story. So I can make something punctuated a little differently or make sure that I wrap it back to, to make some kind of, not necessarily a point, but a perspective that makes people think and say, hey, you know, I never thought of it that way. And that's, that's what I like to do. So we have that ability. When I'm writing nonfiction, because I do write a considerable bit about nonfiction, you stick to the story. You still find creative ways to shape the story that you want to tell. But at the same time, you absolutely have to keep it within, you know, the sense of reality. So they're, they're both, they both serve different purposes. At the end of the day, I think the, uni- the, the tie-in is that you're, you're telling a story. And so that... There's a lot of lessons to be learned from both. And I always encouraged like, students, uh, when I was teaching classes at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, one of the things I would always do is, is tell the students that they really needed to experiment, even if they were nonfiction writers or if they're looking to go into PR or commercial work, they really should explore doing poetry because you can learn so much from it. They should really explore fiction writing. They should really explore essays and, and things that they wouldn't normally do because it just makes you a stronger writer overall. It does. I think, though, that people that have short attention spans find that they can read nonfiction easier than fiction because you could, you could put it down and come back to it later to, for the next chapter about how yeah. to fix a widget or whatever. With fiction, it's much more of a storytelling exercise, and, and you're reading a story, telling of a story, and so you have to follow that path. Now, in your case, what's great is it's a short, short fiction, not short fiction or fiction. So you know that even if you don't like a particular state <laughs> or <laughs> a particular story about a state, then you know it's going to get done in a two pages, three pages at the most, maybe four. But some of your stories are one or two pages, some are three or four, maybe five. Yeah. But that's the nice part of it. But I always wondered about that. If you don't have a long attention span, can you really read fiction? You know, when I started to do this project, in order to start building an, a small audience, um, I would share first drafts of the story. They weren't perfect by any stretch, because I'd like to see people's reaction, and they were very well received. But the nice thing about it was, is I always made sure that I would give people the read time. So I'd say, hey, you know, do you want to read a short story today under 10 minutes or under five minutes, whatever the story was. And I think it was very apropos for social media or digital media where people could say, oh, you know, that's only five, I got five minutes. I, you know, I want to see what's going on. And then, of course, once they get used to you, they're, they're happy to do it. And I hope that's what happens in the book. The first, you know, maybe couple stories, people get used to this idea and then they, then they jump on it. It is kind of interesting exercise, too, in the sense that I don't know that a regular publisher would have jumped onto this particular project with as much enthusiasm because we're talking about short, short stories. So I wanted to take that creative flexibility because I know there's a lot of people, just like you you just said, Ira, that 
a short short story is almost perfect for them. Now I'll write longer work as we go, and I do have some projects in the in the works for that. But I I, I like this that uh, what came out of it was writing these short short stories. Yes, Especially because I can still can continue them, which will also kind of make them neat. It'll be kind of like, well, I really liked that character, and so when Fifty Threads comes out, maybe that character's in there again, or maybe not. I mean, cause, just because you know the protagonist of um, one story in this book might not be the protagonist in the next, even if they intersect, if if that makes sense. Yes, and also too, you you made a good point, which is that you you let people know on your blog would you like to read a story under five minutes or under mm-hmm. a certain amount of time? And you also talked about Facebook and social media. And Facebook and social media, I think, are partly responsible for a shorter attention span among the general population than we used to have. Yeah. And so from a marketing standpoint, even though it's fiction, it sounds like a sound decision by you. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see. Time will tell. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Some people might, you know, there's like one, the story about New Mexico is, is definitely the shortest. I don't think anything's even close to the short. It's it's about 30 words. And so some people, maybe if you live in New Mexico, will feel a little cheated by this, right? But actually, there's, I, I you know, without giving too much away, there's actually a huge reservoir of story there that I'm going to mine and share later on. So that is the, in a sense, the end of a much bigger story. I just haven't told it yet. Well, you will, you will. I think, mm-hmm. too, that a next book for you not necessarily the next book, but the one after that would be short, 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 short stories where it's 30 words or less. I think that there's a market for that as well. Oh, you never know. I mean, I, I could do that. Or I, you know, Originally, when I was starting to share this little bits, little pieces of fiction to see what it was like before our 50 states ever even came into my mind, a lot of it was short, short fiction, and they were even shorter. And they were so short, I didn't even call them stories. I called them scraps. And, <laughs> I like and that's that kind term, of what yeah. I call my newsletter, is I call it, you know, Scraps from Rich Becker. So they were just scraps, and they were just like little thoughts and little things that I just kind of plunk out and see what people thought about them. You know, and, and in some cases, some amazing things happen. Uh, one story I'll share with you. One of the things that I did once, for instance, was I, I had an experience at a bookstore when we were standing in line around Christmas. And I was buying, actually, a book called The Swarm by Orson Scott Card and Aaron Johnson, and somebody started to ask me questions about it. And I'm not necessarily going to give you all the details of the story right now, but I went back and I I wrote up what happened, and I added a little bit of a fictional end to it just to kind of tie it up and make it neat and, and tidy. But I went ahead and I wrote that, and I put it on my Facebook account. And the next thing you know, Aaron Johnson contacted me, who is the co-author with Orson Scott Card. And this is the author of, Orson Scott Card is the author of Ender's Game, for those of you who don't know. And that was made into, yeah, not, not that great of a movie, but definitely there's a huge following on, on his particular books. So Aaron called me up and he said, Rich, do you mind if I put this story on your, on your blog, on his blog? And so there you go. It was just kind of an interesting you know, a little thing that happens when you share, when you're willing to share your work and kind of put yourself out there. And this is especially good to me as an exercise, by the way, this whole sharing process, because it gave me the immediate feedback without being encapsulated in a group of, let's say, writers with their own ideas about writing, but really just a general audience and just to say, hey, this is an idea or this is a thought or this is a little story or this is what happened to me. And then they would give feedback or respond to it, and you could see the reactions, you could see the sharing, you could see the audience growth. And that never influenced me, but it did give me a good sense of what was taking place. And I mentioned earlier on about Instagram and Twitter and your website, but you're also on Facebook, as you mentioned, so people can find you there. 
Here's an interesting challenge. You're marrying fiction and nonfiction because the fiction is you, the nonfiction, 50 states. Do you think you'll ever get some feedback from some official body in some state that doesn't like what you wrote about them, even though it's fictional? <laughs> well, it's not necessarily about the state. It's, it's, I mean, it's stories about people. And, you know, I like to sum it up as sort of like a lot of these stories has to do with life-defining moments and either life-defining moments that are occurring while we're reading the story with them or they're life-defining moments that they're trying to cope with because they happened in the past and maybe something triggered that where they have to sort of revisit it, which is why it tends to lean towards psychological fiction in, in the broad sense of definition, right? And so it's not necessarily about the states, and I'm not trying to say anything about the states themselves, but these are things that happened in, in the states. Now, maybe there are a couple states that won't like the story that happens in their state, but you know, not everything is some of it's all fiction, but there are kernels of truth without, you know, any time that you have fiction. Maybe they don't like what I picked up on. I know that some people haven't liked a couple stories I wrote. One of them that's not in the book, I, got, I received a lot of pushback for. It was actually, it took place in Washington, D.C., which I didn't include in the book, about an environmental protester. But when you follow this environmental protester, she, you know, throws some litter on the ground and jumps in a, a big truck. And, and people didn't like that because they thought I was trying to be like edgy or something, because we were in the moment of it happening, but that's where the story occurred. And I was kind of like, my point wasn't even a, to make a statement. It was just simply to say, do we really think about, and I do this with a lot of stories, do we, do we think about what we do to the environment while we talk about doing better for the environment? Do we really do it? And I think by and large, the answer is, you know, no, as we're, you know, opening up a, a plastic water bottle or turning our air conditioning up an extra degree, or whatever the case or, may or be. Or how about flying a private jet to get an environmental award in Europe? <laughs> there is that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. Too often. <laughs> it's a good point to raise. <laughs> so you got pushback on it, but of course, nobody likes to see their dirty laundry. So, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what was more satisfying, completing the 50 stories or completing the book of the 50 stories or the 50 states? I, you know, I have to say, completing the book, there is something to be said about receiving your first copy of your book in a printed form that has a sense of permanence that you'll never find on the Internet. And I've written, you know, in digital media for a long time, but, but that even goes with marketing communication. There's, even though you don't see them as often, there's something to be said about how beautiful we used to make brochures, even though we don't make as many brochures as we used to. There's something to be said about print that you just... It just feels different. And I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm going to be putting 50 states out in all the different formats. Uh, it'll be out for Kindle, specifically in a Cascade form soon. It's going to be out, and I'll have it on the Nook, and I'm going to have a different version. There's one up there now on Apple Books, but I'll put up another one with a Cascade format, because right now it's a fixed format. And I'm going to do that. But at the same time, there is something about holding and touching a book, especially your own book, when it's, it's been printed. So I would say that writing the stories was great, but I, in fact, I haven't really stopped, so I'm still writing stories. That, that process is great, and sharing it is great, but actually putting it into a book form and saying, this is a book, and it's 358 pages long, and, and you're going to find some great content, and, and maybe not like every story, like you said, Ira, but there's going to be a lot of stories you, hopefully you do, you do like. But I yeah, think, I, I think, I think that's satisfying. I think an actual book also gives you a better sense of immortality than simply being online after you're long gone. Yeah. 
And then you have to learn all sorts of other things that you never thought about before, you know, once you do that. And I'll give you an example, which is, this is, sounds completely silly. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit transparent, I suppose. I'm act, I, have to, I have to practice my signature because I get a little sloppy, and I don't think people want that in their book, and they're asking me to sign it. So I have to practice, and I, I've, I've kind of locked in what I'm, how I'm going to sign books now. Because you, <laughs> I've never thought about that until somebody said, well, you are going to sign it, aren't you? I never thought of it in a million years. And I'm like, well, yes, I suppose so. I better work on that. <laughs> yeah, you don't have one of those automatic pens. You have to do it yourself. So yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good, that great insight that beyond writing the book and beyond publishing the book, you have all these little things you have to do: publicity, uh, learn how to sign a book, make appearances, take some heat sometimes or flack. Yeah, so it's all of one. But in the end, it was worth it, wasn't it? It's amazing. You know, this is I've I've been a promoter in a sense, uh, for other people and companies and from small startups all the way to Fortune 500 companies all my life. And I've always felt really comfortable promoting other people, and I've never really felt that comfortable promoting myself. But this is one project where I feel I feel very good about what I've done, and I have no problems talking about it, and I have no problems saying that, you know, hey, I did this, and, and I had a little bit of help from my wife and my family sometimes just to be quiet. And, uh, my wife was one of the editors, and I also hired an editor, and I've I had a little help along the way. But this is a project that that came to fruition because of a lot of hard work that that I did, and I put it out there. And this is hopefully the start of something that'll be great because this is what I want to do, you know, over the long term. That's a great way to end it. My guest has been Richard Becker. He's author of a new book, Fifty States: A Collection of Short Short Stories. His experimental and speculative fiction began as a project to write one story a week for 50 weeks. His book is available at Amazon, Blurb, and all the usual places. For everything about Richard, go to richardrbecker.com, and you can follow him at Twitter and Instagram at Rich Becker. Rich, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks, Ira. Thanks, Rich. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.